It's January 2017, and it's incredible how fast time goes. I remember when I was little, my mom telling me that the older she got, the faster time seemed to go by. But think about it. Doesn't it seem that the years speed up as you go along, that life sort of becomes this whirlwind swishing by you, and before you know it, you're ringing in another new year? Well, to help us get this year, 2017, started off right, and to try and prevent it from becoming a whirlwind, we're continuing on last week's theme of setting a motorcycle New Year's resolution, one that you always wanted to do. And today, we've got for you a list of seven great reasons or excuses to ride your motorcycle. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Shall we begin? Shall we begin? Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Dress Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. The crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves, so they know what you want when you're exploring the world. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system, and it's easy to switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. You've got to check out the buckles, the straps, the whole bit. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lamphere. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. This is Bernard Smith. You are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. You have your bike, your riding license, insurance, and of course your gear. Now all you need is a plan. Now when I say plan, really I guess I'm talking about excuse slash reason to ride. And those excuses usually begin with, you know, short jaunts. Like you run down to the store to grab some milk, you zip into town to drop the mail, maybe an hour cruise and a warm sunny afternoon. But eventually, at least for many of us, after a while you begin to feel that urge to ride farther and longer, and even keep going. We've heard all the jokes about finding excuses to ride. I I know for myself, I'm quick to volunteer to run any errand, as long as it includes me riding my motorcycle. Now, for those who need a new reason or excuse to plan a ride for this year, 2017, we've sorted through our past episodes and found some great ones. Now, these are ideas for you. You don't need to be in the same situation as our examples here. You just need to understand the concept and then mold it into your purpose and presto. You have a plan, or at least the underlying motivator to get out and do what you really want to do. And of course, that's ride your bike. So here we go with seven great reasons to ride for 2017. Of the seven great reasons to ride we found in our archives, the first one we're going to tackle is called Stuck bored and sick of work. (laughs) Sure, not the most elegant of titles, but dead-on descriptive and probably a place that most of us have been at least some point in our life. I mean, have you ever sat at your desk or your workbench or whatever it is that you do for work and thought, I'm done with this. Really, it's just not fulfilling anymore. Or maybe you hate the boss or whatever your other reason that you have. You just want to stand up, walk out that door and never look back. 
Well, as you can imagine, some people have actually done that. They've got up and left, maybe not quite as theatrical as what I've just described, but they left just the same and they made it work. For instance, Lois Price was sick of her cubicle job at BBC, and in 2003, at 29 years old, Lois quit her job and set out on a solo motorcycle adventure from Alaska to Ushuaia. <laughs> well, it, you know, I think a lot of jobs, they sound better than they actually are. And that was one of them. I mean, of course, it's a great job to have. And, and you know, it served me well having worked at the BBC. It's a useful place to be in. And I met lots of great people. And, and I did do lots of interesting work. I was working for their music department, putting together um, CDs and compilations of, of music from radio shows and TV series and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it, it was it was a good job to have. No complaints. But I just realised very early on that that sort of corporate world wasn't really for me i came from a background of kind of independent record companies and record shops that kind of stuff so um i wasn't it, it just wasn't really my um sort of environment uh, so i stuck it out for a few years but i realized that you know i've worked since i left school and i was heading in towards 30 and i thought well i have to do something else i can't just sit in this air-conditioned office you know staring out the window for the rest of my life and that coincided with the um with passing my motorcycle test and then that was it really I was off (laughs) reasons to ride number two escape and life change and I don't think this is for everyone but having said that a huge life change can be like a do-over you know like or or a rebuild as far as you as a person you know just come out with something completely brand new and sort of a second chance at things Scotty corrects says he had the truck, he had the house, he had the toys and the good business, and he walked away from it all, and he's never regretted it since. People usually ask what I did before this, and uh, before all this, you know, when I was young, younger, I was a contractor, roofing contractor. I was in that business for 22 years, and I, uh, I had a three-bedroom house, two cars, and the truck, and a uh, big front yard, big backyard, nice furniture, TV, VCR, remote control, all the paid channels. You know, all that stuff. And that stuff just didn't work for me, man. And so one day, I, after a lot of thought and stuff, I uh, went out to my truck and I put my bike. I always had a pad of bike. I put my bike, my, my tools, and some clothes in there, and I drove away, man. I left that stuff sitting there. And so I began to try a lot of things, and I hit on motorcycle travel. I had friends who took trips, and I began to go with them, and then I began to go alone. And uh, <clears throat> my travels got further and further. So I took off to see if I could stay gone for a year in 90, the spring of 94. And in the spring of 95, I came back and liquidated everything I owned. And I've been on the road ever since then. But I'm going to tell you something, man. It was not a uh, hardship. It's just that, you know what, man? My spirit came alive out here. And, it was, and, and, and I just couldn't go back. Reason to Ride number three. Setting a record. Now, I used to think that record setting was reserved for those overachiever types, you know, those driven people with an intense passion for doing incredibly difficult things. Now, it may still describe some contemporary record breakers, but there's a huge movement of people out there doing things that are not necessarily Herculean in scope, but unique and interesting to them and maybe, you know, a small group of people. Some require training and technical expertise, but there's many goals that can be invented from things like visiting all the state parks, for instance, maybe doing an iron butt challenge, or maybe doing something like Carl Reese's Cannonball Run. <laughs> well, for, for me, um, it, it, it's about the planning. For me, it's like a puzzle. Um, so when I look at there's a previous record or a time set, even during my work day, I, it just clicks in my head throughout the day. It's like another job site problem that somewhere in my brain I need to solve it. And I just can't let it go until I figure out what the combination is that this guy had, um, you know, to make it from here to there. So it's basically trying to crack the code of what, um, you know, what can be accomplished and, you know, accomplished safely. Reason to Ride number four, reunite and reconnect with friends. 
Steve Mason, Raymond Danton, and William Hutchinson were three friends and biking buddies in southwest Scotland in their teens. But they all drifted apart as their lives grew up, and they ended up living in different countries. But over 30 years later, a chance encounter brings these friends back together, and just over a few beers, a motorcycle adventure was planned to South America. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. So it was one of these kind of, we hadn't met for a long, long time, and uh, it was quite coincidental that Steve was actually in Scotland. Uh, I could send him a text to say you're around because I'm I'm, I'm travelling and so we went to this uh, this bar. It's a very famous bar in, the, in in Glasgow called the Horseshoe Bar. And so we went there for a few beers and then we went to a restaurant and uh, and over that we, we really started uh, building the discussion about you know Steve asked me he says how do you fancy doing a round the world trip and I said well. That sounds great. I, I really have always fancied doing the, the Pan American Highway. So we decided there and then that let's do it. So uh, so that's how it came about. But just the whole going from the very bottom of the world to the very top of the world uh, just sounded uh, fantastic. Reasons to Ride number five, moving. Now, most of the time you think of moving as a rather chaotic, if not crazy, time. Packing and trucking and loading and unloading and all those things that go along with moving your home. But what if you melded motorcycles and moving and you took that normal tight time slot that you do for moving and extended it a bit and made it into a motorcycle adventure? Will Wilkins and Kate McDonald, after living in Australia for 12 years, decided they were homesick for the UK and they decided it was time to move home. But instead of just throwing everything into a container and taking a flight, they decided to use their motorcycles and make it into an adventure. Um, we we lived there for 12 years. And um, so I was doing the same uh, project managing on events and Kate was uh, vet nursing. And they uh, yeah, decided it was time to go. I want to definitely stress that there's nothing wrong with Australia at all. Uh, we just fancied we're both English and we fancied coming back here for a while and doing the, the Europe thing. And um, yeah, we, it was a quite a short prep time of probably two or three months while we were packing up, the selling the house and selling all our stuff. I mean, I know other people have done it a lot quicker than that. Um, but uh, yeah, we, I would certainly advocate you don't need a year or anything to do um, to do a big trip. It was actually a, a random email from a mate. Well, I'd emailed him and said, oh, we're coming back. And he just absentmindedly said, oh, oh, have a nice ride. And I read it and I went to Kate. Hey, look, look at this. Yeah, he just said, have a nice ride. How about that? And um, I think I think that's how it was born. I don't know. Can't <laughs> yeah. actually remember. It was no, yeah. um, there was, it, don't know. It just sort of happened. Reasons to ride number six, snow. Okay, now you probably think we're going too far here. Snow, snow is the time where you store your bike. You know, you sit inside, you whine about not being able to ride. Isn't that right? Well, not for everyone. In fact, there's a growing number of people that are exploring the snow by motorcycle. Not for the faint of heart. Riding in snow in winter conditions is obviously extremely dangerous and requires a higher level of skill, you could say, at least in most cases. It creates all kinds of problems dealing with your bike that's not meant to ride in the wintertime. However, there's people that race on ice. In the east, it's very big. Uh, the winter ice racing that you can find on the weekends when the weather turns really cold. But others ride in winter just because they like it. Like Doris Wiedemann, for instance, who loves riding in the snow. I think you have to have um, a good knowledge about what you're doing and a good knowledge about yourself, how you're going to react. You know, I mean, I teamed up with Shark who, you know, went around the world on, on sports bikes two times. I did a fair bit of traveling. We know ourselves pretty well and it's yeah, it's really hard to tell in advance how somebody would react when it gets really scary. Now, so you have to know yourself pretty good and you have to think about what you're doing. But then it's a great experience. And I mean, you don't have to start with the extremes, you know. Like I say on my web page, my first single trip was going around Bavaria for one week. You know? <laughs> and then I worked my way up and I sure wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted to do the winter in Alaska trip as my first trip. That wouldn't have been good. Reasons to ride number seven, win a contest. 
You know, Elizabeth, Adventure Rider Radio's producer, once told me about an article she read about people that make money, or at least save lots of money, by entering contests they to win things, or even filling out forms to get free trial products. Well, some riders have done very well from entering contests. For instance, Graham Field won a contest that put him on his first big trip. Louis Castilla rode a Harley-Davidson around Europe by winning a contest. And this next story was only made possible by, yes, you guessed it, winning a contest. Coming up next, all roads lead to Manchester after this break. If you have a pre-2008 KLR650, listen up. Now, I had a 2006, and I absolutely loved it. There is a new fairing produced by Obsessive Cycle Disorder. That's the company. Sam Spitz is behind this, and um, what Sam did is he, he has a KLR650. He decided that he wanted to modify the fairing. He ended up putting all a lot more work than he originally intended into it. And by the time he was done, he realized that he may as well manufacture these things because there's probably going to be other people who want to solve the same problem. So if you're one of those people and you have a 2007 or earlier KLR650, this may be something for you. He calls them an RF-1 fairing, and he says they reduce the helmet buffeting and the wind pressure on your upper body at highway speed, so it could really do great things for your KLR. They're manufactured completely in the USA, and you can check them out at www.klrfairings.com. That's www.klrfairings.com. And of course, anytime you're speaking with Sam, let him know you heard him here on Adventure Rider Radio. As I'm sure you know by now, if you've listened to our Rider Skills segments here on Adventure Rider Radio, standing on your pegs gives you the best control of your motorcycle on any sort of loose surface, slippery surface, dirt, all that sort of thing. By weighting one peg and unweighting the other, you can lean the bike, you can make the bike turn. There's just so much control you have there by doing it. But here's another tool that's going to take your bike control up a notch, and that's installing larger foot pegs. Because larger foot pegs increase your leverage. They make it easier to stand, more comfortable on your feet. You're more stable. There's so many things that happen there. IMS Products has a complete line of foot pegs for us adventure motorcyclists. Now, one thing you need to realize before you go out and buy yourself a set of pegs is that foot pegs are not all created equally. For instance, I was talking with somebody a few weeks back and they were showing me the foot pegs they had on their bike. Their foot pegs are wider, just wider, but they were wider both to the front and the back equally. Now, the problem with that is they found out pretty quick that it reduced the space between their shifter and the front of the foot peg, which meant that they're tilting their foot further at a, at a steeper angle to shift the gears. Well, that doesn't help. That actually makes things worse. The IMS pegs are all designed with the extra width toward the back, which is where you want it. That makes a huge difference when you're looking at a foot peg. So they'll be wider to the back and they'll also be wider out the sides, giving you far more control over the bike. Drop by their website, have a look at what they've got. It's IMS Products, so www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Reasons to Ride number seven, win a contest. To finish things up here, we have a story called All Roads Lead to Manchester with Pete Johnson. Pete had been working on an idea he had since 2008 about riding from Manchester in the UK to visit 33 towns in the US and Canada, also called Manchester. Well, when he came across a website from an insurance company, his insurance company for that matter, they were running a contest called Biker Dream, and they were asking people to fill out the information about their ultimate ride. Well, Pete filled out the information about his Manchester ride he'd been working on, and he figured that was the end of it. But he ended up winning the contest, and winning the contest was his excuse to do this motorcycle trip he'd been planning since 2008. My name is Pete Johnson. I'm from Manchester, UK, and I'm a stonemason. Pete, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Back in 2011, you did a motorcycle trip, and, and I would call it a theme trip. And I, I think that's sort of obvious because you were hunting down, well, basically towns or cities with all the same name. And I assume it's where you're from. You're from Manchester? 
Yes, I'm from Manchester. I uh, lived, uh, born and lived uh, within a few miles of the city centre from all my life. And I discovered there was a few more towns called Manchester out there. So this trip that you did, this Manchester trip, how did this come about? I discovered that there's, um, within riding uh, distance of each other in America, there is uh, actually 32 towns called Manchester. And I use the word towns uh, kind of vaguely because some of them aren't towns, some of them are just uh, a metal sign in the middle of nowhere. Uh, But yeah, I set up a a concept of being able to ride a a motorbike to all these places. So having uh, a laptop, I I set up Twitter and Facebook, uh, Road to Manchester, I also had a blog, um, and for two, for two and a half years, I just kept feeding information onto these things, sort of learning about the different Manchesters and, and actually finding friends on Facebook that actually lived in some of these places. And that's how it all started. Why would you want to do that anyway? What, were you looking for an excuse to go on a ride? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put your finger on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd read all the books and I'd um, I'd watched uh, A Long Way Round 15 times, you know, and Long Way Down and uh, being uh, a bit of an adventurist myself. I like, you know, I've always been an outdoors person. I just felt that potentially there was a good excuse for a, well, not not really The Long Way Round, but I, I was trying to find perhaps a celebrity from Manchester uh, and then we could go out and do the thing together and possibly film it. I mean, it was uh, it was as simple as that. Well, I like the idea of this because the the whole th- the whole point of a theme or you know some sort of um, secondary goal other than just riding your motorcycle, I think, really adds to it. In my mind, you know, you arrive somewhere, it sort of gives you a job to do, something that you're there for. There's a reason that you're on the road. Yeah, it, the, the, part, the the only downside of this sort of is, I call I call it a mission more than anything else. If you if you come from Manchester, you you could sometimes often call the Mank. So the, the sort of title was one mank, one motorbike, one mission. And one of the issues is you've got to get to the next one. So you don't spend an awful lot of time in, in individual towns because obviously I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a uh, six-week uh, break and I've got to get to my final one to get a flight home again in six weeks. So though the mission's fantastic, it does actually make you miss a lot of things as well. Mm, you know, there's yeah, an awful lot of plate. There's a lot of places I could have stopped at and, and had a look at some of the sites and some of the sort of well-known uh, parts of America that I passed through uh, with uh, on the way to somewhere, another town called Manchester, you know. Well, so in hindsight, do you sort of regret having that goal where it's rushing you from one town to another? Would you, like, in other words, if you were go, to go back and redo it, would you say, no, I'm not going to do that method? No, I'd love to go back because I actually missed seven of them out. So, <laughs> um, no. But I the, mean, in general, you know, because you've done this, you've you found that you sort of rushed through. I mean, obviously that was you know one setback. You said so yourself. Um, do you think that's enough of a setback to say, okay, that didn't really work for me? No, absolutely not. Because the there's a lot of interesting places that I did visit, and a lot of good, as you said before, a good excuse to go and talk to people about Manchester. So. Um, there was a direct link actually with Manchester in America because uh, President Lincoln sent a letter to Manchester many years ago, back in the uh, when the when the um, issues of slavery were happening, and what happened was because Manchester is a cotton town, there was no cotton coming out of America for us to to make clothes with, so the whole of Manchester was suffering as a um, as a um, recession, if you like, even even that far back. So there was that there was that kind of concept was the fact that. There is a Lincoln Square in Manchester Town Centre. There's a statue of Abraham Lincoln. So my message was kind to see, you know, um, r- what really was different with our Manchester's as the one the Manchester's in America. And so the, the, the mission was there, and I wish I'd had more time because if I, I could have spent a year out there quite happily because uh, you get a lot of invitations to things and you can't really take them up, you know. So the, the, the six weeks I was there, I actually spent 31 days on the bike um, I could have spent an awful lot of time doing other things as well to, you know, to say, uh, to see things and people and sites and go to events I was invited to. So it could be a lot. I'd, I'd love to go back and do it all again. You said 32 towns named Manchester in the United States. Yeah. In other words, mimicking, I assume, the one in the UK. Why, why are the 32 towns with the same name as what you have in the UK? I can only imagine that when the, you know, the Pilgrim Fathers went across or people over the years have left England, uh, particularly Manchester, to go and find their fortune in America, they would eventually find their little plot of land or their little stake in, in, the, in the land in, uh, of a certain area, and they would put the flag in the ground and say, what we're going to call it? And it, seemed, it would seem that 
Manchester was where they were from. And in most cases, it seems that that's the history of the place. Um, there are more on the east side of America. And as you go west, the course they thin out an awful lot, you know. So some days I could get to two. You know, the first the first Manchester out of Boston was only sort of 30 miles away. And the second one was another 40 miles away. So, and then the second day, I think I did two again. So, you know, as, as you're traveling on the East Coast, you are passing every town you can think of in, in England, Portsmouth, Plymouth, Whitby, all these all these names are coming up all the time, which are just mimics of, of towns in England anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what happened. You know, they put their little stake in there. They, they, they put the... Uh, the name to it of uh, because they were from Manchester, England, I guess. So you come up with this, this idea, okay, Manchester. I mean, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now you're talking about, you know, the whole thing of you got to ship your motorcycle over to the U.S. or to Canada somewhere to start taking the time off work and everything like that. Was that something you started to map out and you figured, okay, this is how much money I need and this is when I'm going to go? Is that how it all started? Not really, because, say, once the uh, the news came that I was actually going to be, I don't like to use the word sponsored, but the, the, the point is this company were helping me out and paying for everything. So I suppose in that respect, yes, I was being sponsored. When you started planning this, did you not originally plan to do it yourself or did you, did you originally have in mind that I want to get a sponsor to pay me to do this? It was, it was always a pipe dream. It was, it was a kind of, um, it was a pipe dream based on the fact that it might happen one day if I get to a point where, uh, even even trying to find celebrities from Manchester on Twitter and things like that and on Facebook, just to push them that way. And there's a few people I kind of contacted, but they were all. Uh, it was it was just a, a complete and total pipe dream. I never really thought about uh, the costings and how much it would cost, and if, if my wife had ever let me go and things like that, you know. Um, so no, it was it was. I said I almost gave up. It was just something I was playing with. It was a little hobby when I used to do when I was sat instead of watching TV, I'd sit with my laptop on my knee. And I just keep adding things to it and finding out more information and doing bits of research about these towns. So okay, so you, you're it's just a, a thing you meddle with, you know, in your part time. I mean, yeah. it sounds like you're sort yeah. of half serious, but then you stumble across. I guess it's your own insurance company is um, is looking for sort of contest entries. Yeah, that's right. And um, the original concept of of a, of a TV program was actually in the fray. It was this was something they were interested in. Um, they already had people interested from film companies and, and sponsors for motorbikes and that kind of thing. The issue was it had to be done in, uh, in that in, in 2011. Now you're talking said about before, the insurance company itself. Yeah, the PR company for the for the insurance company were very keen to make it exactly what I said it was going to be. You know, which was going to be this this kind of um, this long way round, long way. I don't, I can't think of a title that involves the word Manchester, but you know, <laughs> the idea was to find somebody that could go with me and, and make an actual TV program out of it. So you look at the website one day of the insurance company and you see that they're running some sort of contest where they're looking yeah. for people to sort of write out their their ultimate motorcycle adventure. I assume it was a yeah. motorcycle adventure. You put in there that you would like to do this, visit all these Manchester towns, and you sort of send it off and, and you're just another entry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until one day you get an email. I get an email and um, I went to a meeting up in uh, a place called Hull and Hull's on the east coast of England and I went to it was February it was freezing cold and I made the foolish mistake of saying to them should I come on my motorbike <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going up there just in minus, to show your enthusiasm right <laughs> just 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 to show I'm a real biker you know and I, and I, and I shot up it's about 100 miles from, from my house and I shot up there in the freezing cold and uh, you know got myself a nice cold nose but yeah it was all part of the deal you know so uh, I sat in front of a dozen people with a video camera on me saying, like I'm saying to you now, just telling them the story of what it was all about, you know. Basically, what they're going to do here is they're going to cover all your expenses and make you into, you know, sort of a, an advertisement for them, something as a promotional thing. But they're going to cover yeah. your expenses to do this sort of dream trip that you've had for a couple of years. Yeah, I think I think the initial um, the initial remit was 14 weeks. Um and of course, the first thing I said was, well, "I'm self-employed," so I said, "That's not a problem. I can, I don't have to. I can give myself time off." Uh, obviously, the issues are, "What do I do about my mortgage and my, you know, and everything else I have to pay for on a, on a daily basis?" And that was going to be covered as well. They're going to pay you to do it as well. They're going to pay all the expenses. Well, not them. They, 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 it was, I mean, this is all pie in the sky a little bit, really, because the let's say that it was all this. This was the first meeting. It was a case of, "Yes, um, don't worry about that," because you'll get a presenter's fee anyway off the TV company. 
Now, did you have to ship your bike over to America? No, no, I wanted to. I was quite happy to take my bike over there because I thought actually an English plated bike would, I had a 1200GS uh, adventure at the time. And I thought that'd be really good because obviously uh, seeing a foreign bike with a foreign number plate would, would sure. create a bit more interest. Easy to start a conversation. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, as it happens, it was more convenient just to uh, to hire a bike out there. And what bike did you rent? Well, they, because my first ever bike was a Goldwing, obviously I wanted something that could do the do the trip in, you know, three, four, five hundred miles a day without much messing about. Okay, so you rode a Honda Goldwing eighteen hundred. Was that the 1800. one? Eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Now, Pete, now through the story, you're not going to ask us to feel sorry for you for all the miles you rode. Oh yeah, are you? Oh, it was terrible. It was really hard. <laughs> yeah, I, want, I want some sympathy. A <laughs> Honda Goldwing. I mean, you are in the lap of luxury there. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so pleased it wasn't. Well, there's two reasons I'm pleased it was a Goldwing. One was the fact that the first seven days it rained every day, uh, so you know you get a reasonable amount of uh, of protection off that big screen. Um, and the other side of the coin was when I got down to Alabama uh, a week later, it was 118 degrees. So um, having uh, a water-cooled engine between your legs rather than something that was air-cooled and blasting out lots of heat, that was a bit of an advantage as well, you know. So, um, yeah, but the radio cassette and the, um, you know, the CB and all that kind of stuff helped, I guess, built-in sat-nav, you know, all that kind of thing. I've never ridden a Goldwing before. Does that come with air conditioning? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, they have this little flap in the windscreen. And basically, <laughs> if it gets too hot, you just flick the switch on the flap and it opens. Let's a bit more air in. You know. What's the name of the insurance company that paid for all this? Uh, Bennett's. Bennett's Insurance. Bennett's Insurance. Wow. That is certainly nice. So you, you fly over and you start to do this trip. Now, you said you didn't complete it all. You've, you've missed some towns. How did you manage that? There was a few issues with the Midwest uh, going out towards Texas. I got down, basically, just to, just to quickly run through the, the route. I started off in Boston. Um, went north right up to Maine and Connecticut and those sorts of places, shot across to Niagara Falls and went through to Canada. And then from there came back into the States and went all the way down to Georgia, which of course is down in the south. And then the idea was to go back up to Michigan, which is in the full length of the country almost, uh, cut across Lake Michigan, there's a ferry that goes across, and then back down all the way to the south again, and then kind of worked my way up, up and across and north, so eventually ended up in San Francisco. The problem was there was hurricanes and floods and all sorts of things happening in the Midwest. And uh, I was advised not to go that way, basically, because there was not much infrastructure left, you know. And I thought, on hindsight, I thought it's a little bit embarrassing. Me, you know, here's me on my big $20,000 bike wandering around with my budget and my, and my visa cards, you know. It just didn't seem right anyway. So instead of going back down to the south again, I ended up just going west um, across the top and then just sort of... Um, eventually hitting the uh, hitting the highway one and going down to San Francisco. So yeah, there's seven, seven Manchesters that I missed. So what's your day like when you're starting off? You're heading out, you know, going from Manchester to Manchester. Are you sort of on a wild drive from one to the other or how do you do that? There was a few places I'd picked out over the, the couple of years before. I'd picked out a few places I wanted to go and see and, and a couple of roads I wanted to ride. Uh, say the first, the, my big plan, this, this was the massive plan, arrive in Boston, pick up the bike on, this is Friday, Friday the 13th, pick up the bike on the Saturday. Uh, I had a video camera and a, and a helmet camera and, an, um, and one, of the, one of those little things that you can wire in to make the camera work with your voice or that kind of nonsense. And all I had with me was a, a Swiss Army knife and a roll of um, sticky tape. So I, I think I spent about two and a half hours trying to wire this thing into the bike and just game up and just threw it all back in one of the panniers. But my big plan was to go and buy some camping equipment and do it properly. You know, go and buy a tent and a sleeping bag and, and off a good go. The problem was, as I say, for the first, uh, well, I got I got as far as Niagara, uh, crossed into Canada and then found a hotel and it rained every single day without fail, almost nonstop. And um, the camping thing went out the window. I just kept booking into hotels, you know, so. It's funny how rain uh, does that. Yeah, but it's, it's actually funny because I, I was going through New York State and I think people that people don't know America at all, which I didn't before I went, we, we've all heard the song New York, New York. What you don't understand is New York is probably about the size of the UK. You know, we, we all think of New York as just being, just being the city. Um, it took me two days to get across New York and uh, halfway through the first day, I hit the biggest rainstorm I've ever seen, never mind ridden through. And you literally couldn't see couldn't see the screen on the bike. It was ridiculous. I couldn't get off the off the freeway. Um, 
it went, it, it went black, it went cold. Uh, one of these scenarios where you can't put your visor down because it steams up and you can't put it up because it's stinging yeah. your eyes, even despite the uh, the screen on the old uh, Gullwing there. And it was a scary moment. I, you know, all the lights went on, the hazard warning lights went on. And it was only when I pulled into the services eventually when I got through this storm, this was about 25 minutes of, of say, ridiculously heavy rain, I pulled into a service halter and I got inside and got a coffee and left a rather large puddle on the floor. Um, it was only then I realised that for, for the for the previous five or six days I'd never seen a single bike on the road. So there's only me. <laughs> and I, th- I didn't think about it though. I thought, well, I, I, we, you know, consider I'm from Manchester, England. Most days when you go out, it's going to rain. So it's not that unusual, you know, to be riding in the rain. But um, say so, uh, once I got to Canada... Um, I went to I went to sleep at about four o'clock in the afternoon for a bit of a doze, to be woken up by a Harley Davidson going past with his usual you know, spud 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 type sound outside, and I, w- I w- opened the door and was greeted by about ninety degrees, and, you know, beautiful sunshine at about six o'clock at night. So that was the start of the decent weather. In thirty-one days, you did eight thousand five hundred twenty-five miles across the United States, going from Manchester to Manchester. What did you learn about the states that you didn't know as far as bike riding? I think I think generally biking is actually it's one of these weird, wonderful titles that people give someone. Are you a biker? And I, never, I was never quite sure whether that was good or bad. Is it good to be a biker or is it bad to be a biker? Because I was surprised at how many people that would stop me and say hello, uh, or I would go and talk to because I'll talk to anybody. I just barge into anybody's office and just say hello from Manchester, the other one, the big one. <laughs> Um, and get and strike up a conversation. And, and, and the funny thing was that, I mean, I'm middle-aged, I'm 58, but I was thinking, you know, this was, you know, obviously uh, 2011, I was a bit younger. But the amount of people my age that would either have a bike or had one, men and women. So I think the whole concept of riding a motorbike seemed to be much more common uh, in America and almost much more accepted. You know, was, this is what you are, you're a biker. And I said, I'm not sure whether that was good or bad because some people, even to this day, uh, I remember going to a house once in my uh, my Altberg, brand new Altberg boots that cost me £150 to have made because I've got very big feet. And they were brand new and I'd worn them for the first time on my bike and I got to someone's house and they asked me to take them off because I was on a motorbike. And this was in the middle of summer in the UK. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, these, you know, this is the most expensive shoes I've ever bought in my life, and you're telling me to take them off just because I'm on a motorbike. And it's that kind of, oh, yes, you're a Meaning dirty bike. somehow dirty or something, is that yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and it was funny because, let's say, road, the road sense, certainly on, on the type of roads I was on, people seem to have a little bit more acceptance that you're on a bike. and, they, and you know, they, have the, uh, they, they certainly don't close gaps if, if you can filter in these certain, certain towns. I never bothered because I was just I'm used to filtering in the UK, so I just did it anyway. I didn't question whether I could or not. And um yeah, it, it was good. I mean, people were so nice. I mean, I did have the bike sign written. You know, I went into a vinyl uh, vinyl sign manufacturer uh, within the first few days and spent a few hundred dollars and got it all sign written, you know, with all the Manchesters and the England thing and had a little Union Jack on the on the aerial. So I made sure that people were um, realizing I wasn't just Johnny, Johnny from Boston. I was actually somebody from a different country. You know, in Michigan, you stayed in a tour bus. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> There's this young lady called Missy Coville. Missy is a um, she does um, she's a, like a country rock singer, and she does Sturgis every year and a few other a few other big events. Goes around with a band and does you know these these tours. And she's a biker. She rides a Harley. And I've been talk- I've been chatting to uh, to Missy on Facebook for two years before I even went. And the one gambit she always said was, "If you ever get to Michigan, uh, Manchester, Michigan is is literally down the road from where we are. Uh, you must come over, and we'll you know we'll have a bit of an event and a bit of a party. Perhaps I've got a tour bus you can stay on." So I'm thinking, great, that sounds like a you know sounds like a plan. A tour bus, that's amazing. So a you tour this bus, yeah. fancy bus to stay in. I mean, and. Oh, a- I'm, I'm thinking one of the, yeah, one of these, you know, uh, Winnie Bagos that, that slides out sideways and has got air con and a fridge full of beer and that kind of thing, you know. So I, I end up going to the middle of nowhere down this dirt track. It's one of these areas where the tarmac suddenly finishes and turns into a dirt track. And then you think, oh, God, I'm on a, I'm on a you know, 500 pounds uh, uh, Honda Goldwing here. It's not going to be easy. And then I had to turn left down a track that was, a, you know, like downhill, about a one in six, um, down to this uh, this farm. Anyway, I get down to the bottom of this hill, and lo and behold, on the right-hand side, uh, parked up against the bushes, is this 
1970s school bus that had been kind of amateur converted into a into a mobile home. So I'm thinking, oh, God, don't say that's it. As it happens, on the other side of the drive was this ginormous trailer, which was like a fifth-wheel um, trailer that goes on the back of a pickup truck. So I thought, oh, that must be it. That must be the uh, the tour bus. So we get introduced and we have a bit of There's a lot of people coming around that night and having a bit of a party. And that was it. Unfortunately, I stayed, <laughs> I stayed in this old bus, which was painted black with a yard brush, I think, you know, probably with uh, hammerite. And it had the it had um, Mrs. Uh, Missy Colville written down the side in again in a big brush with a, with red paint. And the funny thing about it was it had mesh mesh over the windows like you know fly screens, but it was very warm. So what they decided to do was was get this fan, uh, open the emergency door right at the back of the bus, and put this lay some pallets down and put this great big four foot industrial fan on top of the pallets. I'm not quite sure whether they're trying to keep the bus cool or just blow all the mozzies out of it because... They're feeding you mosquitoes very, that way. <laughs> well, I think so. Yeah, they're probably, they're, the mosquitoes must have been coming through that fan at about 100 miles an hour, you know. So, And, of course, it was noisy as well, which didn't help. But uh, we, we had a barbecue and a few beers that night. So it was um, it was a welcome welcome change and a you know, very, very pleasant uh, atmosphere to be in. Um, but the tour bus wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be, which was quite funny. Who warned you about Manchester, Alabama, and what did they say? Um, I went down. There's two. There's two Manchester's in Alabama. One, one is a town which is like a lot of other ones. You know, not a big place. Uh, it was a very hot day. It was, it was well over 100 degrees. I, I turned up in the first Manchester and didn't really get anywhere. I called into a called into a fast food joint just to get some some cool air and uh, and jump on the on the on the internet for five minutes and. I asked where the you know, municipal office was, or the town hall, or the police station. The fire. Station. There's nothing. No, no, no response whatsoever. So I decided to go and find the other one, which was allegedly about 50, 60 miles away. So off I went. Um, couldn't find it. It wasn't on the map. It was. I knew it was there somewhere, but I knew the nearest town. Couldn't really find this place. So I, put, I called into a bank, and uh, I was getting some cash, and I just happened to say, "Have any idea where Manchester is?" And, and the tellers didn't know. But this, this voice came from the back office. Uh, one minute, sir, one minute. And this, this chap come out. If, if you remember the Dukes of Hazard, they had the old chap called Boss Hogg, who was about five foot tall and about five foot wide with a white suit and a big white Stetson. Well, he, he walked out of the back office, this chap, and he uh, you know, gave me a, the usual greeting and asked me the questions and I gave him the answers. And he said, what are you going up there for? And, and he said, it's up on the mountain. Now, at that moment in time, I realised that I hadn't seen a mountain. There's no hills in that area. But their definition of a mountain was anything that wasn't at sea level, you know, sort of <laughs> completely flat. So, anyway, chap, a young lad walked in. This young lad walks in behind me. And he goes, ah, just the guy we need. He said, your mum has just moved in with, with Frank such a fella. Um, where Frank's house is, is the road that takes this, this man to, to Manchester. Would you take him there? So he said, yeah, no problem. Did his business. He got back in his car, and I followed up to this um, this sort of up, up the mountain, which is say more of a hillock. Um, up, and then the road got sort of slightly narrower and slightly rough, rougher. And we get to a T junction, and I'm going straight ahead. He pulled over, got out of the car, shook my hand, said good luck. He said, "I'm going to see my mum while while I'm here. She only lives down the road here. Apparently, you carry on for another few miles, and you'll come to Manchester." So off I go. So I get down to this this point where the road is too rough. I can't really get any further. And lo and behold, there's the sign. It's a metal sign, you know, overgrown with trees and things and bushes that said Manchester. So I set my video camera up and I got my sandwiches out, my bottle of water, and I was just about to do a little bit of uh, video to camera. And I hear this A car coming down the road behind me uh, at fair speed. There's a bit of a cloud of smoke happening. And a bit, you know, it sounded like a rally car coming. So anyway, he screeches to a halt. It's the same guy. So he, he winds his window down about halfway. And I'll try and do an American accent. But he basically said, my mama said, you got to get the hell out of here. There's bona fide hillbillies down there and they'll take you away. You'll never be seen again. And I went, are you sure? He went, yeah, yeah. He said, "There's uh, mothers have got babies to their sons and they are brewing meths and all nasty kind of things. And my mama said, just to warn you, and I've got to get out the hell out of here as well. By which he just wound the window up, did a, a U-turn, and off he shot down the, down the lane again. So, of course, I've got my uh, video camera set up and all my bikes open, all my helmets off and everything. So 
I didn't argue with the guy. You know, he obviously knows his stuff. So I um, I jumped on the bike and then shot off back down the road and got back to the same junction where I'd left him. And he was sat on, sat there with, on his bonnet with his arms folded. And he said, I'm sorry about that, but my mama said, definitely don't get out of the car because it's not safe. And, he, and we went through the whole scenario again of why. And I told him I'd been to places like Moss Side in Manchester and lived to tell the tale. And, you know, I'd walked out with my dogs at night on my own and I'm quite happy with things like that. And as we're chatting, out of this forest comes this beaten up pickup truck with, if you imagine what a hillbilly is supposed to look like, he's got his cap on backwards, he's got no teeth, uh, his windscreen on his truck's full of bullet holes and the rest of the truck is just a complete rust tip, no exhaust pipe on it, with a, with two guns on the back window on a rack. And I thought, guy, the guy was right. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> just one of them moments. <laughs> so you never did go any further? No, I got the picture of the sign. You know, and that was about all I got for that one. But I say, you don't argue. I mean, yeah, you have to take these things with a pinch of salt because you'll read a million times about people crossing borders and they say, oh, don't go there. It's really nasty. Oh, they're t- terrible people, you know. Sure. Uh, having said that, they, these two guys kind of, again, me being me, I looked at them and was I didn't wave, but I kind of you know gave them a knowing smile and got absolutely no response whatsoever. Just got this completely blank look as they, as they sort of both gazed at us as they passed. So, you know, chances are I couldn't have uh, conversed with them very much anyway, you know. Well, all this is on your blog. You have a blog called, um, what is it? What is the blog? The blog is called United States of a Manchester. So rather than America, it's a Manchester. So the full title, United States of a Manchester.blogspot.com. Pete, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. And of course, that was Pete Johnson from Manchester, and you can find out more about Pete and the trip that he's done by visiting his website, www.unitedstatesofmanchester.blogspot.ca. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Now, if you find yourself wanting more distance than your tank will allow you to go on your bike, which I think a lot of us have that problem, there is a solution, and I've got it for you. Camel Tank. Camel Tank is the manufacturer of high-quality auxiliary tanks for motorcycles. Now, in my mind, an auxiliary tank isn't really truly functional unless it operates without having to mess around with it, without having to flip switches and turn knobs and try and get it to transfer fuel, all that sort of stuff. Camel Tank is designed so that you don't have to mess with it. You put the fuel in the auxiliary tank, and afterwards, you don't worry about it. The fuel is automatically drawn out of the auxiliary tank into the main tank. It uses the auxiliary first, which is the way it should work. There's no pumps running, nothing. It, it works off the vacuum for the system. You'd have to go by the website to understand fully how it works. If you don't want the extra fuel, you don't want the extra weight, um, you're not interested in using it that, that day or that week, you just don't use it. You just use your regular tank. It's as simple as that. It's a really nice setup. Corey Hansen, the guy that built the tank, he did it out of a need for himself. He found the same same thing. He went on a, a trip with his bike and he found he just didn't have enough capacity and he couldn't find an extra tank. And after looking around, he came up with the idea for Camel Tank. It sort of looks like a printer cartridge. It's really beautifully designed and crafted to fit into the bike. They're simple to install. You have to drop by their website to see their installations. But I, I've looked at the videos and there's really nothing technical to it. Drop by their website, have a look, www.camel-adv.com. That's www.camel-adv.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that should help give you some ideas or reasons to get out there on your bike this year. It's early still if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Still time to plan for next summer. And I would really encourage you, this is the time, January, but you can pass those winter months by doing your planning. And that's part of the excitement of going on any sort of long motorcycle adventure. And we have links in our show notes to all the stories you heard today. So if you heard something there that you're interested in hearing the entire story, just drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on this episode and look at the show notes.
Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Dress Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. The crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves, so they know what you want when you're exploring the world. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system, and it's easy to switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. You've got to check out the buckles, the straps, the whole bit. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Well, I guess there's no excuses now. It's time to get out there and ride your bike. And one thing you can do for us, if you're into it, drop by our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. The other thing, I guess I should have said two things. You can drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Don't forget, all these episodes are free to download. You can just go and listen to whatever you want. There's a lot of information there. A lot of people we've had on the show have been just absolutely great for uh, providing us with information and stories about adventure travel by motorcycle. But you can also consider clicking on the donate button if you're into it. You like what we're doing here and you want to help the show out, click on the donate button. Anything $10 or more is going to get you one of our new stickers because we have new stickers now, new logos. Very cool. Drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Now, time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, I'm Carl Parker from ADV Moto Magazine, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 